So this is what happened. We, me and Adam were having a discussion yesterday. But what's our topic? Our topic is we're trying to we'll figure out what happened with Matan Torah and how does it relate to us. And what we began to discuss yesterday um, was that there's different different levels of of change. It wasn't yesterday, right? Maybe before. There are different levels of change. And the deeper the change is, the more fundamental it is to myself, the more um, the more it is. In other words, Judaism is not about... I'll, I'll tell you that it's a Gomorrah tininess, and it's just it's such a fascinating exploration of, of our approach to what mitzvahs are. Gemara describes the scenario of Rebbe Reika. Rebbe Reika was in Amoya, and he's walking in the shuk, and he's an extremely enlightened individual, and hence he's walking alongside Eliyahu Anavi. It's called a Gilu Eliyahu. He has a revelation of Eliyahu Anavi. And he's walking with Eliyahu in the shuk. Now the shuk is a very busy place, and it was a Jewish shuk, which means he was surrounded by the multitudes of Jews. So he asked Rebbe Eliyahu Anavi, asked him an interesting question. He says, tell me, who of the people around me are B'nai Olam Haba? Who of them are like set aside to, be, to go to Olam Haba, to go to the world to come, to be tzaddikim, as it were? People who are really going to get there. So Yonavi looks around, multitudes of people, and he says, um, ooh, no one's, no one. <laughs> no one. So then he, they keep on walking, and he says, oh, he is. So this person, amongst the crowd, the Jew, he's not wearing tzitzis, and he's wearing black shoes, which it wasn't a custom for Jews to wear those black shoes. It was like a non-Jewish custom. And he's, looks like, kind of the last person in the world you'd think would be a Ben Olam Haber. So Rebecca runs over to him, trying to think, because Eliyahu didn't tell him why. He says, tell me, what do you do? So the man says, I can't speak to you now, come back tomorrow and I'll talk to you. Comes back the next day, and he says, no. so what do you do? So he says, well, I'm a, I'm a prison warden. I work in a jail. That's interesting. He says, what do you do in the jail? So he says, well, prisoners come in, I make sure that the men and women are separated and then I place my bed between them at night so people can't fall prey to their desires. Very nice. And he says, and when I see a Jewish girl who's imprisoned and the rough non-Jewish prison authorities are looking to take advantage of her, I protect her. And there was a Jewish girl they came into the prison. She was actually betrothed. She was a Naira Murasa, a young girl who was betrothed. That means she'd already connected to her husband, but they hadn't yet started to live together. And the authorities were after her. So what I quickly did was I went to the wine cellar and I got the dregs of the wine, which are a blood-red color, and I put it onto her clothing. And I told the guards that she's menstruating and they should stay away from her and they, they would deter them. And he deterred them that way. And he said, well, why did you say to me, why, why did you wear black shoes? 
So he says, because the black reminds him of the destruction of the temple. Things aren't quite the way they should be in the Jewish world. And well, why did you tell me to come back the day? Why did you just answer me on the spot yesterday? So he said, well, because what happens is no one in the prison knows I'm a Jew. And what happens is when they, they're about to decree, make decrees against the Jews, so they tell me. And then I go and I tell the rabbis, and the rabbis can pray, and their prayer annuls the decrees. And yesterday, the reason why I was in a rush is because I heard them making a decree, and I wanted to get to the rabbis as soon as possible. And he's a Ben Olam Havel. Fascinating. Keeps them walking in the shuk, Elyonov and Rebreka, and Elyonov says, oh, those two people also, those two men over there, they're also Ben Olam Havel. Okay. Goes over to him and says, what do you gentlemen do? They say, we are comedians. Comedians? Sure. When we see someone that's sad, we go over to them and tell them a good joke. And they cheers them up. And what else do you do? Well, when we see people fighting, we get them to... Uh, sure, these guys are like, they're probably like proper characters, right? Could make people laugh. Say, what are you doing? You're fighting with him. You're fighting with him. Come on, guys. Let's get this together. And they got them to make peace. And those, those were the B'nai Olam Haba in the Shuk. Now, how, how, how refreshing is that? What are your thoughts? You know, if I asked Josh Benjamin to point out the B'nai Olam Haba, he said, oh, you see the guy in the corner with a long white beard, shockling like a demon? Yeah! Look at him, saying to him, mid guns and I'm not saying that he's not, but you would have thought that they picked the caricature of the Olam Haba. They come off, the Gemara comes off from the left side and says, no, 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 no. See, and now, the Maral explains this Gemara and he, he, takes a, he takes a very interesting lesson out of it. He says, what, 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 what was special about what they did? Where was it? What led them to El Mabba? So he says, because they had a midah called Zrizus. Zrizus means that they were proactively prioritizing what they did. But it means more than that. It means that they weren't affecting, they weren't keeping mitzvahs. They were, they were mitzvahs. They were being mitzvahs. When a person compromises his life, that he's, he becomes a jail warden, he sleeps in the jail every night, he's not looked upon as a member of the Jewish community, that's giving up your life. And he did it because he felt that was an important task. So that's not something that you do because you're getting brownie points. It's something you do because you are. It's what you are. It's not what you pretend. It's what you are, the essence of your being. When these men went around the marketplace making people happy, it wasn't because they were... He says a fascinating, morale comment about what a comedian is. He says a comedian is a person that gives up his self-respect to make other people laugh. That's what a comedian is. You make a fool of yourself so everyone can laugh. A clown. You do, you do stupid things and go, ah, that's so funny, but you make an idiot of yourself. So a person that's willing to give up themselves... For the mitzvah, so then you see they have a higher connection. They, that's called Ben Olam Haba. Ben Olam Haba is not a time and a place that's going to be in the future. It's a description of your present reality. So you see a very important thing. You see that there's nothing... A person can keep, keep the mitzvahs. You can keep the mitzvahs. And back to our Kabbalah You can keep all the mitzvahs doesn't mean that you are the mitzvahs. You have to be the mitzvahs, not keep the mitzvahs. That's called Kabbalah Satoya. Remember we discussed many, many, many moons ago the idea of a Kabbalah. Kabbalah means not that you do. It's not an obedience. 
It's a transformation of self. So, could be. Could be. So I was having a chat with a friend of mine last night, and he's discussing, he says, reading Steve Jobs' biography. And he said that, that Steve Jobs um, spent a lot of his early part of his life, career, wandering around the East. And he said what happens is the, the Eastern world is very different, different from the Western world. The Western world has take, ra- taken rational thought and taken it to its, to, its, to its furthest extents. Rationality, the dominance of the rational thought. And the Eastern world, to oversimplify, has taken the intuitive world and refined it to the nth degree. And his point was that we have to create an intersection between those two worlds. Now that was really interesting because that same yesterday, Adam, Shlomo and I had a fascinating discussion which revolved around the Gemarian Brachas. The Gemarian Brachas contrasts those two worlds of the rational and the intuitive. It's a Gemarian Brachas on Daf Lamad Aleph Lamad Aleph. And the Gemara is discussing the prayer, Tfilash, Manesre. Now what's clear is that the mechanism of prayer is not the same mechanism you use to develop, analyze, and dissect a Gemara. That's a, that's a very strong rational process. If a person wants to understand a logical argument, so the place that you use in your being is your prefrontal cortex, whatever it is. It's your brain. It's your, your it's a cerebral activity. So given it's very limited, it's constructed, you can be proofs and disproofs. It's the world of science. It's really the world of science. The world of Gomorrah is the world of science, at least at the initial stages. It becomes the world of art at a more sophisticated stage. But initially, it's definitely the world of science. The artistic part comes in when you're more advanced. Initially, it's a world of science. The world of science is an argument with a counter-argument, with a proof, with a defense, with another proof, with a finding the problem in the proof and the resolution of it. It's a very structured, um, analytic process. The world of prayer... The world of prayer is not an analysis. The world of prayer is connection. Emotion. Gemara says, It's a service of the heart. So, so, so Tefillah doesn't use the same place, the same mechanism, the same part of the persona that does Torah. Torah relates to the person from the rational world the dissection, the extrapolation, the comparison. Whereas filler, you know, a person says, yes, I had a great filler because I understood the connection between the first and the second brocha and how they fill it. That's important to know the structure, but that's when you learn about filler. That's not when you pray. If you're doing it whilst you're praying, you're not praying, you're learning about filler. So what was very interesting is they had Shlomo on one side and Adam on the other side. So, so I feel that Adam has been deeply influenced by Eastern culture. So he responds very powerfully to the intuitive. 
and understanding that you have this knowledge and you can't, you can't even put that knowledge into words but you can't deny it because it's experiential whereas Shlomo has none of that experience but he's very much in, in the rational world and makes sense and you can prove it so what happens is they're having an argument I disagree Rabbi doesn't matter so he's not a real Shlomo he's just a marshal to Shlomo so, so Shlomo's got this whole mahalach of that, you know, things make sense, and then you do them, and you have to do things which make sense. And like Adam's looking at him and saying, but, but you have to feel it. And he's saying, feeling shmeeling. It says it, do it. What's your problem? So Adam has many problems with that. And so here so yeah, so yeah, you have these two, here you have the disparate worlds. You've got the Western and the Eastern worlds, and they're meeting in front of me in this Gemara. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is very, very, this is very gishmak. And then I read the Gemara. I swayed back and forth as is the Talmudic custom. I started off with a small humming tune. And then I read the Gemara, and the Gemara said the following thing. It said, a lot of things that you need to, in order to enter into Tefillah. But one of the things that you are going to, are going to be obstructive to davening is... find it um, see, see. Yeah. it's amazing how Gomorrah's move around eh? have you noticed that you come back to them they've gone somewhere else you can't enter into the Shemona Esrei not when you're in the process of making a judgment if you, I suppose if you're, you're dying on based if you're judging the based in and not when you're in the middle of learning can't go into Tefillah if you're in the middle of learning and start to daven, it's just going to wreck your Tefillah. I know, I ask myself, it's going to wreck your Tefillah. Why is it going to wreck your Tefillah? There's nothing holier than learning. Talmud Torah connected Kulam. On the contrary, if you want to get into Tefillah, learn, and then you'll get into Tefillah. Aha! Elamai suggests the Pshat that the convergence of those two worlds, of the Eastern and the Western, as we Lovely express them of the world of the rational and the world of the intuitive. So they meet in Judaism, but in different aspects thereof. Tefillah is the world of the intuitive. You can't explain it away. You can't rationalize it. You can't prove it or disprove it. It is. Your experience in Tefillah it was. How would you, how do you daven? You can't say. Uh, you can't score it. Well, the question is, how did you feel when you were davening? What was your experience of Tefillah? If you say to, if I go and ask a person, I'm asking him how he's doing in Shir, he's in my Gemara Shir, and I say to him, Nu, what's Pshat in the Marashah? And he starts discussing his Pshat about his experience in the Marashah, I'll slap him across the face. I won't really, don't worry. But I'll, but I'll be very, I'll be very intimidating. I'll say, what do you mean? I don't want to hear about your experience of the, of the Gemara. What does the Gemara say? Because that's the rational, that's the intellectual. So you've got these two parts, there's the intellectual, there's the rational, there's, and then there's the intuitive. And Judaism fuses the two. 
but it also isolates the two in certain compartments. So when you're learning, learn. Okay? Learn. Don't come with me with all this emotional heebie-jeebie stuff. Learning, the time to is a battle. You say a stupid pshat, you're a chamor. No, ta chamor. And you don't mean the person. Again, you're not playing the, you're not playing the man. You're playing the ball. But if you're saying a stupid svara, you're saying to him, your svara makes no sense. What are you talking about? Defend yourself. And he says, but it feels so good inside. I just can't tell you what great story of the sun. I don't care what it feels like in your tummy. Show it to me. If you can prove it to me, if you can bring substantial evidence, I'm listening. If not, go and rework it. That's in the world of Torah. Torah is a milchama. Torah is a battle. It's, 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 the, the people in Torah are called Baal the shield bearers. Because you're in battle. Torah is a battle. And if you start making Torah into this emotional stuff, you'll destroy your Torah. You'll be very, very good friends with your Chavrusa. It'll be Gewaldic. You know, you can have a... Why not? Bring some tea to the Chavrusa, a beer, or maybe a schnapps. But it's not going to help you for it. Tell us a battle. You have to be strong. Call Talmud Chochem. She'en kebarzal. She'en Talmud Chochem. You have to... Cherev al abadim, the Gemara says. A sword to the badim. Who are the badim? Eidu ta'asenem shal Talmud Chochem. She'en kebarzal. She'en kebarzal. She'en kebarzal. People that sit and they learn by themselves. What's wrong with learning by yourselves? It says cherev. A sword to the badim. Why do they get a sword? Because the Talmud Chochem has to be a barzel. He has to be a sword. Now, when you want to fight with a sword, when you're fighting against someone, you get much better than when you fight against yourself. <laughs> Try to get good at sword fighting by fighting with yourself. Nothing happens. You just get worse. But when, you, when you've got someone competing against you and you have to bring out of yourself a whole range of different defense, moves, attacks, pirouettes. Oh, no, that's better. What's the fencing term? Parry. A parry. There you go. Okay, may work. I know. So if you want to do that in, 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 in Talmud Torah, when a person he 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 attacks with an argument, you defend yourself, you prove account, then your seichel gets sharpened and sharpened and sharpened and sharpened, and your rational mind gets built and refined and distilled, and it's gewaldic. That's called a war. That's the war of Torah. It's a sword, and you're fighting, and it's vicious. But that's what it is. And in the, what happens? And in the, what's the result of that? You take an idea which is cloudy and foggy and you find it and you find it until it becomes crystal clear. And you can find the application and you can justify it and it manifests itself solidly, solidly in this world. You take it down. You take it down. Alright, calm down. You take it down. From the world of the theorem. Sorry. Can you turn on the air? I like the. I was in the learning term mode. Strong, proactive. So um, that's 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 that's. But you have the other side of the twiller where you can't. Do, when you're going to fight about a person about whether his twiller was right or wrong. Twiller is your connection to Hashem. It can't be right or wrong. It is. It's intuitive, it's connection. So we need both of these components to ourselves. What's really interesting is the Rambam, the Rebavram Ben Harambam, sorry. Rebavram, the son of the Rambam, he has a, a, a work which is entitled Sefer Maspik Loiv Hashem. And he fully explores both these, these areas and describes that they're how they how they inter- interact and where the interface is. And so I thought that was a very crucial point that we have to realize the different components of connection and, and not confuse them and not confuse them um, 
And that's where really the, the Nefesh Achaim, the Nefesh Achaim makes this distinction very clear. He quotes a Gemari in the Dorim. The Gemari in the Dorim says, I say Dvarim, the shame Pa'alon. Do the words, it's referring to the words of Torah, for the sake of the one that made them. Now, I've forgotten the exact language, language, but I think it says, the, I say, the Lamed Bohem Lishmon, and you should learn them for their sake. This is called what the, the, the Nefesh Chaim calls Torah Lishma. Torah Lishma. Torah for its sake. So often people misunderstand the Nefesh Chaim that Torah Lishma, learning Torah Lishma, doesn't mean learning Torah for its sake. It means learning Torah for the sake of heaven. And the Nefesh Chaim is very much against this. He says it's not for the sake of heaven. Of course it's for the sake of heaven. It means that the background, the context, is I'm doing it because it's a mitzvah. But the practical application is it's for the Torah itself. Understand the thrust of the Nefesh Chaim is that the point is when you are learning Torah, don't try and make that into an overt spiritual experience in the classic understanding of the word. Don't try and make your learning of Torah, which is a very strongly rational, cerebral activity, into an intuitive one. Because then you'll miss the point. And he has a whole f- series of arguments and chapters devoted to this point. He felt about it so strongly. He felt that when you're in the world of Torah, you're living in the world of the cognitive. And that's where you should be. You should not be in the world of the emotive should be strong in the cognitive world. Of course, there's emotion, but there the emotion is a very different kind of emotional connection. But the connection that you should be having is the connection should be with the intellectual integration and connection of the Torah itself. Not of a connection to, an overt connection to God. And he proves this by saying that there are those that would say that learning Torah bedveikus with, with cleaving to Hashem would mean that you have to have a constant consciousness of the fact that you're in the presence of God. And that should be the focal point of your learning. And he, he says, well, think about some of the things you learn about. Some of the things you learn about is, uh, say for example, you're learning in Hill in, 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 in Bava Kama, you'll be learning about the claim you would make if you would be a deceiving cheat. And then you have to go into exactly what would a cheat think under these circumstances and what would you be thinking? And then it's a very oh, a very removed from the loftiness of spiritual concepts. And that's why a lot of people become frustrated with Gemara because they, they fail to see the explicit connection to spirituality because the, 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 the connection it, it's coming from a completely different place. It's not an explicit connection. When you're learning Ramchal, when you're learning Svarim Kedoshim, when you're learning Hashkofa, so then the topic of study is the Rebbeinu Shalom himself. So the connection is explicit. Oh, of course, I'm learning about God. But when you're learning about, okay, so this guy stole, and now you're claiming from him, and he makes a claim that, well, what would you claim? The beginning of, in, in the beginning of Bava Metziah. The Gemara cites a case where two people deposit money. One 100 and one 200. 
And they both come back and they ask for their money. And they both claim they owe 200. And the depositee doesn't have a recall of who gave him what. So the Gemara, so one of them is a lying, filthy cheat. So what do you do? So when you're thinking about that, you're not thinking about the Malachim and Shemayim. You're thinking about, one second, this is the, so how do you do this? This guy's a cheat. So how do you figure out which one is a cheat? So the Machalik is denying. But it's Rabbi Yossi that says you freeze the entire amount. Because that will prompt the cheat to say, oh, it was actually, because then he still get his 100 back. He said, no, I gave 100. He was, trying, he was trying his luck. He thought, well, I'll ask for 200, then maybe I'll get 200. So now the entire amount is frozen. So now he comes out losing 100. There's machlokes, the Rebbe Yossi, the but, but, but to understand, it's a machlokes in how can you be conniving? So, where, yes, Josh? Sorry, It's okay. I'm, I'm open to be interrupted at any point in time. I've been quite despondent that no one's interrupted me until now. The root of Karov is Krav, which is battle. So, when you are battling and you're just like getting frustrated and and uh, doing all these like very cognitive things by virtue by default without being like intent or without intending to you actually by at least in my experience you are actually building a relationship as well yeah. it's a different kind of mode of building a relationship I don't know if it's going to work with your wife um, you know I don't think the but it, the, the, sometimes you're right sometimes the facts are fantastic for proving clarity and it can move the relation forward but often not but, but the, the Gemara supports what you're saying Josh the Gemara in Kiddushin it takes a quote from last week's parasha Asva Hev Besufa it starts off with Milchama Yisashem and it says Asva Hev Besufa so it says even if you've got a Rav the Talmidoi an Avu Benoya, a Rebbe and his student, and a father and a son, that they sitting at a gate studying Torah. It says, initially, Nasu Oyavim Zelaze, they become enemies one to another. And then it says, so they're fighting. But it says, Asvahev Besufa. So the Gemara learns, but Ubasoif Nase Oyavim. Once the understanding of the sugya is clarified, they become beloved. And Rav Hutner says it's a kind of love that is created when you have two people who, through their joint efforts, create something between them. It's like giving birth. Because when you have two chavrusas battling over a given understanding, so one comes in with a foggy idea of what this could be, and the other one comes up with his foggy idea of what this could be, and then they battle it out, and through that battle, the clarity creates this priceless entity, which is a birth of both of their minds. So they now share in something that was a simultaneous creation of their battle and their struggle. So it becomes very rewarding, and it becomes a powerful fusion between the two of them even though the dynamic of the relationship was extremely aggressive. But the production is, you're an, you're an enemy, but now you become beloved. Because you have a thing that bonds you together. Right? Adam? When you were talking, and you said learning Torah is uh, intellectual, or uses the Western mode of uh, thought, you meant Gemara only, or you meant Gemara and Chomesh? The study of Torah, the study, the, the study of Torah in its classic sense, even though it may be Chumash or Gemara or Halacha, it plays by the same rules of the cognitive world. 
there's another kind of study. There's a different kind of study. You're right. The study of, let's say, the mystical side of Torah, which is a strange... I don't know too much about it, but it's, it's, not, it's not the same. It's not purely cognitive. But it does have a cognitive element, but it's not purely cognitive. It has an emotive element. It has a, a deeper element. I don't know if motive is the right word. So when I speak about learning Torah, yes, I'm speaking about the Talmud and all that kind of learning, which is the learning of Aloha, the analysis of Chumash. It's not to, I'm not talking about learning Musa, which is a completely different topic. I'm not talking about learning Musa. Musa is also, learning Musa is also a completely separate world. It could be in learning Musa itself, there you can experience the fusion of the cognitive and the emotive. In the actual learning itself. Learning Musa fuses the two, whereas Gemara focuses on one, Tefillah focuses on the other. Musa you can fuse, you can have a strongly cognitive base, which spills over into a deep emotional realization. Yes. So Musa is a fusion. Uh, and then others for him, they, they focus on different things. But the classic presentation of learning is the learning of Talmud and all its ramifications, applications. And the other side is Tefillah. And then mitzvahs become interesting, right? Because mitzvahs can have different aspects to them. When you're doing a mitzvah, you can focus on the halachic aspect of the mitzvah, which is, means that you conform to all the pre-decided parameters scrupulously. But then there's also the emotive side of the mitzvah, that there's this deep connection. And both are present. And different people focus on different components of what they are. But what's clear is if you don't have the defined parameters, so then you lose everything. Because then it's not a mitzvah, it's just what I made up on the spot. So there's no connection. But when you have the connection, the connection serves as a framework, not as an endpoint. I think what you're saying is uh, very interesting and really clarified for me the difference between uh, these two worlds. You know, when I was learning with my Habrus the other day, I asked him, we're talking, something happened with money, and money is something that you can make a, a tenai on, even though for other things you can. So I asked them, then what is the spiritual significance of money if it has this otherworldly power? He told me, don't think about the spiritual. And, and I was like, how could we not? I thought we are learning the Word of God. So that, you know, what you're saying now makes sense that we're developing these two different senses. Um, I really think Steve Jobs did it like a wonderful uh, thing when he brought this idea into the world that there are different kinds of intelligences and that we can develop both. One thing I've been thinking of is that the, the Torah itself, the, the Chumash, five books of Moses, uh, and maybe the other writings, I don't know, seem to, in some way, blend both of these worlds. So I was trying to think of what it was like when Moshe was receiving the Torah, when he was speaking face to face, with God. And so it, it says that he heard the Word of God, right? But we know that he didn't just hear the Word of God because the Torah itself, all the books, they're more like a painting because the actual size and shape and spacing of the letters matter. So I'm imagining that he's hearing the Word of God, but he also has to be seeing it and feeling it because in some way he's painting. So he's 
he's painting words and meanings and shapes. And so in a way he's capturing the, the energy of Hashem. So it takes the form of, of something we can read. But it's also more than that because even just looking at the, at the painting, at the letters, can, can move us in some way. Even just then saying these, these words can bring our body to, or our soul, whatever, I don't know, to resonate with a certain energy. So it's, uh, to me, the, the way that it's, it's described as, you know, there seems to be this difficulty in understanding through, nor through normal language what happened at Mount Sinai, what happened when the Torah was received. It says they saw, they saw like the, the sounds and heard the, and, you know, there's like, so there's something going on where the senses are being crossed. So I think it means or has something to do with the fact that something's being transmitted on a, a deeper level. Like, I, I, I imagined it as like some sort of, of like trance-like meditative state that, that was going on, where, where like the traditional means of receiving information are somehow crossed or fused or it goes beyond that. And then uh, the other day someone told me that the horn said, well, Rebbe, he said, when you're, when you're uh, praying, it's like this. We are made of air because God spoke, and, and that's how we were created. So, therefore, we're his breath, we're his air. So, we're like his like sound waves, his energy. And when we pray, we are, like Hashem gave us these letters, these words. We're putting our ourselves, our breath, back into the vessel that he gave us. So although these are words with uh, intellectual connotations, they also have this uh, energetic effect, this ability to go beyond. So I've been playing around with these ideas the last few days, and what you're saying is is uh, very interesting in light of that. It's fascinating. Good. Okay, everybody, so, so we're off to go put some energy into some vessels. Amen. Um, <laughs> let's go.